I was walking down the street yesterday, and uh, they saw me, and uh, either the Gideons or the other people there, Jehovah's Witness. Uh, well, we have many different languages here, uh, one from Punjab and one from there, and so obviously when I tell people that I'm Pastor Bill Walker's son, we do, we do look alike. Uh, one thing for sure, uh, I'm trying to catch up with my dad about the hair. Um, so the, there, there's something that looks a little similar. Uh, uh, can I have that brought up here? Uh, can I have your help here? Bob. Maybe, maybe I can. He's sleeping already. Bob is. Thank you very much. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going to happen in his Sunday school class. I'm not either. <laughs> See if this thing works. Um, anyway, uh, as the computer will start booting here, uh, so nice to be here, and I know you always welcome uh, our family with hugs and welcome, and so nice to see all of you. I uh, want to say quickly thank you so much for your prayers and your support. Uh, as we are in Thailand, suffering for the Lord, uh, we, do, we do think about uh, our place here in Arlington. And uh, When I got off the airport uh, airplane, I came out of Seattle airport, and it felt like the whole universe was under some kind of AC. <laughs> and... Uh, so it's uh, so quickly we can change, our bodies can change. See if I can find my um, slides here. So, so glad to be here. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to study uh, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. Chapter 1, Philippians. And I've called it Joy in Preaching the Gospel. And um, last whole month uh, as, uh, in Bangkok, uh, the, uh, we have an international ministry there, and I was preaching from the Book of Philippians, uh, five weeks looking at each chapter. And as you know, um, the book is known as the Epistle of Joy. And I wanted to look at each chapter uh, and see what the Lord is saying about the source of joy, how uh, you and I could have joy. Uh, what is it in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3? Just looking at one concept, and as I studied the chapter 1 uh, many times, uh, I was convinced that chapter 1, the secret or the key there is there's joy in preaching the gospel. Um, and uh, we're going to look at that as Paul testifies his life and how he served God and uh, looking at his life, and I know many of you uh, can testify, uh, same as Paul, that there is joy in preaching the gospel. Uh, when I talk about preaching, I, I'm not talking just about preaching from the pulpit, uh, although that may be part of it, but it's part of who you are, wherever you go and whatever you do, whatever jobs you have, and uh, there's joy involved in the preaching of the gospel. My daughter, she's uh, turning 16 this year. 
I can use her because she's not here. Usually, usually the ladies are always keeping me, you know, with a tight rope. Don't say anything about us. So they're not here today, so I can, maybe I can say something. <laughs> um, when my mom and dad uh, decided to buy a plane ticket for Micah, I told Paula, I said, he can't go all by himself. And um, so anyway, they were, I think they were ready for break from the boys, and, and I think we were ready for the little break from the girls. So it worked out well for everybody. They're enjoying uh, home without boys, and we're enjoying uh, grandma, grandpa, mom, and dad without others. So, uh, Again, uh, my daughter, uh, she uh, doesn't usually say, says, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to that event. Or she always has some kind of negative things about the event that the school is having or the church is having. And so we tell her that if you do it, if you go, we know you'll enjoy it. And so she kind of drags her feet and then goes. And then after she goes to certain events, and she comes back excitedly. Oh, it was so much fun. I had so much fun. I, I'm glad I went. And in some, in some ways, uh, gospel and gospel presentation, gospel preaching, living the life of the gospel, is somehow uh, we kind of dread it. And then somehow God leads you to uh, witnessing or being a witness uh, uh, with the Word of God to some unsaved people. And then after you're done, there's that uh, a joy that nothing else can give you. And as I have been in the mission field for so many years, I've seen God work in different ways. And what a joy. It is very addictive joy. A joy that you cannot receive from anything else. A joy that comes solely uh, after you present the gospel to somebody. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour-long gospel presentation. It doesn't have to be uh, the theological debate or something. I'm just talking about who you are. And how you present God to somebody else who's next to you. And there's that joy that overfloods your heart. And you say, wow, Lord, uh, this is something amazing. And I think this, this is what Paul is talking about in chapter 1. He says, there's joy in what I do. There's joy in the preaching of the gospel. There's joy in presenting people the right way. And there's extra, extra joy when somebody comes to know the Lord. And they become so dear to your heart. And if you haven't had anybody come to know the Lord, you don't understand what that means. And Paul repeatedly tells uh, in the book here how dear those people have become as they came to know the Lord through his work, through his ministry. And so purpose for the message this morning is twofold. One is to rejoice with Paul for those of us who are involved in reaching out the lost. And that we realize what Paul is talking about and we rejoice in that and we get encouraged to do more. And my second objective for the sermon is to encourage some of you who may be uh, not as involved as some of us are and, and maybe are missing out on the joy that God really has for us. You might have heard this many times that we hear somebody who is a new believer, there is certain kind of excitement about them. And then uh, one year goes by, two years, ten years, fifteen years, and they become a sour plum. Or maybe something like that. Uh, we don't have joy. We don't uh, obviously feel the joy around that individual. Uh, and, and my encouragement this morning, if you're searching for joy, a real joy, joy that cannot be attained any other way, any other way if you are lacking that joy, be involved. 
Go out and tell somebody about Christ. Be the witness that God has intended you to be. Your life will be full of joy. And that's what I want to preach this morning to you. Joy in preaching the gospel. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses for you. uh, Starting at verse 1. And going all the way down to verse um, 11. But before I read uh, these scripture verses, let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you again for the opportunity to come uh, together like this. Lord, we don't have to fear our persecution. We can come and freely worship you. Lord, we think of those, your children all over the world, who do not have the same freedom, maybe hiding, maybe in fear, Lord, we pray for those people that you would continue to watch over them and bless them. Lord, as we come and study your word, help us to learn from you. Holy Spirit, guide our thoughts. Guide my words and my uh, speech. After all, we're done. We'd be encouraged and strengthened in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 1, I'm going to read a few verses for you. Uh, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in, G- in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about you all, all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise to God. We're going to look at uh, uh, joy in preaching, but let's look at a background uh, for the church at Philippi. Uh, if you have studied book of uh, uh, Acts, chapter 16, uh, you have the whole story there. I just have a little map for you to look at where they began their uh, second missionary journey and how they ended. Uh, they... Um, they came to Lystra and Derby, uh, Paul and Silas did, and they found Timothy there. And uh, uh, Paul and uh, Silas, they wanted to take Timothy with them, and so Timothy joined. And as they were traveling toward Troas, Paul wanted to go up north, northeast, up north. And the Holy Spirit forbade them, and, and Holy Spirit told them not to go there. And so they tried again to go up uh, to uh, the Asia area there. And the Holy Spirit again told them not to go up there either. 
It's kind of interesting to me as I read book of uh, Acts chapter 16 that the, that the Lord would tell them not to go and preach. Whereas uh, for us, we would say preaching the gospel anywhere, anytime is the will of God and we need to do that. But especially in this case, the Holy Spirit told them not to go there and we don't know why. And then as they were traveling, Paul has a vision from Macedonia, way over there. And uh, they're calling Paul to come and help them. And realizing that God was calling them to go to Macedonia, they pack up and start to travel. They come to Troas and they go on a boat to the other side and they come to Macedonia, the city uh, of Philippi. Interesting thing about the city is that, uh, you know, uh, they didn't have a synagogue there. They didn't have a, a large crowd of Jewish uh, uh, people there. So they, uh, Paul says, let's go down the river on, on Sunday, the Sabbath day. Let's go down by the riverside. Because uh, on sa- Sabbath, if there were few Jewish people living around, they would go down to the riverside and pray. And so uh, uh, Paul would uh, often do that. Whenever he went to a city, he would look for Jewish congregation. Uh, maybe part of it is because they would understand the gospel far better than maybe any others. So he would s- seek out those group of people. So they go down by the river and, and they meet Lydia there. And Lydia gets saved and the her household gets saved and exciting things are happening. And as they were preaching the gospel, walking around, you know the story, there's a slave girl, uh, maybe demon possessed, but she can tell future or she's working and making money for the, the, the masters. And so as Paul and Silas are traveling and preaching the gospel, this lady continues to bother them by saying, these are the men of God and listen to them. Christ is the Lord. And, and of course, uh, again, everything sounds right. Everything sounds like what needs to be proclaimed. But Paul realizes that that was coming out of the demons. And so he heals the slave lady, girl. And so the masters lose their earnings. She was making money for the masters and they get all upset about that. And, and they come and attack basically Paul and Silas and they put him in jail. So in jail, Paul and Silas, as usual, they're preaching the gospel to whoever is listening, and they're singing, and in the middle of the night, uh, uh, everything opens up, the doors open up, and and, and the earthquake goes in there. So anyway, uh, free to leave if they want it. And when the jailer sees what's happened, jailer thinks that everybody has gone away, and everybody has run away from the prison, so uh, he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, ah, don't kill yourself, we're still here. And when he hears that, probably the jailer had been hearing what Paul was preaching. So the first response to him was, how can I be saved? Yeah, a wonderful uh, situation. And uh, him and his household get saved. And a church is planted. Wonderful church. Paul is proud of this church. They were exemplary in all areas of their faith. One of the reasons the book was written is to thank uh, the believers at Philippi that they had sent a large amount of money to Paul to support him in his missions. And Paul was needing and he's thanking uh, the, the believers at Philippi for the gift. A wonderful church. And he was so thankful for what they were doing. And so this is a good, wonderful place that the Lord had led uh, Paul to and, and a wonderful church, maybe in church a church at Philippi was in many ways maybe like you guys. 
Everything's going well. I see what a wonderful ministry this has been. And I was looking at the bulletin. I was reading the missionary report. And God is working and God is changing. And baptismal this afternoon. A very, very exemplary church. And so Paul wants to write this letter to them. Let's look at, secondly, Paul rejoicing over the salvation of many. Now, I don't even have to explain this any, any further, really. Wherever he went, whenever he preached the gospel, whenever people got saved, he was full of joy. He was excited about the things that happened there. He says over and over here, even in this verses, that these people were part of his heart. Look at verse uh, 7 and 8 of chapter 1. It says, It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I deeply, I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he has a bond with these people at Philippi as a result of their salvation. Now, anywhere you and I travel, as soon as we find out that another person is a believer, we have that bond, automatic bond, and we rejoice over with them and we are so thankful. And, and especially if you were the one that God used for their salvation, Paul has that joy of knowing them, joy of uh, being so near to his heart. Uh, Book of Philemon talks about Onesimus, the servant or the slave who ran away. So when Paul was in prison, he preached and he shared the gospel and Onesimus uh, got saved. And the book of Philemon, Paul says, he is part of my heart. He is peace of my heart. Philemon, I'm sending your servant to you, but remember, he is part of my heart. Because I have borne him in faith. And uh, every time I go to Nepal, one of the things that really hurts me, hurts me in a, in a, in a way that it's a joyful sorrow also. To see somebody that God used me to bring salvation to them or the gospel message to them, and then to hear that they're growing and they're involved in church planting or they're serving God in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a church leadership or something. And I see them, I get my tears. I leave them, I get my tears. And I say to the Lord, uh, these are not sad and sorrowful tears. It's a, uh, it's a tear of joy. Few years that God allowed me to be there. Few futile attempts, uh, our weak efforts in reaching out the lost. Some have come to know the Lord and they have made a difference. And that is the kind of joy that, that keeps you going, really, when there's difficulty, when there's hardship. And so Paul says, you are peace of my heart, my son, my crown, and my joy. There's joy in the gospel presentation. And he remembers them and prays for them. Verse 4 and 9, he says, I pray for you daily. There's a joy in my heart about you. And I pray for you. And he does that. It is, it is not just about telling somebody about the gospel. And then leaving them alone, it's a process, isn't it? It's like raising a child from birth to uh, all the way to uh, adulthood. I was looking at some of the uh, high school graduates going into a new part of their life. I wonder how the parents are feeling. You know, did we do enough? How can we continue to be that support for them? 
It's, it's, it's similar. It's you know, growth in faith. Having somebody come and be born in the faith is similar aspect where you don't say goodbye to that person. They become who you are and you pray for them. And then not only that, Paul rejoices that God will complete their salvation. In uh, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, good work being that salvation, the process of sanctification, started a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we are assured that once a person gets saved and once we pray for their growth and continual involvement in the Lord, we are assured that they will be okay. As parents, when we think of our kids, they will be okay. We've done our job. And he continues to pray for them, verse 9. And his prayer there is very interesting. He prays for their continual growth in their faith, continual relationship with the Lord, and continual service for the Lord. So this we see as Paul's joy, uh, as many people have come to know the Lord. Lastly, Paul's rejoicing over the partnership in the gospel. Verse 1, uh, verse 5. I use that verse because it's very meaningful to me. It says in verse 5, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is so thankful, is full of joy to think of the church at Philippi. And he says, I came there, I preached the gospel to you, you trusted the Lord. The day you began your journey with Christ, you joined with me in the proclamation of the gospel. This is the testimony that Paul sees for believers at Philippi. You got saved and you did not have a, a fire rescue ticket. You just didn't have a, a, a right to be the family of God. They were part of this process of salvation. It grows from within and grows out toward others around you. And so Paul is very happy to see his converts continue to do what he wanted them to do. And that's the joy in life. That is kind of joy that it's really irreplaceable. You cannot have this kind of joy from anything else. And I want to, this morning, to encourage you to seek out these events and the efforts that God has asked of us to be faithful. I don't want to be narcissistic. I do things because it makes me feel good. I do things that causes me happiness. But the truth is here, as we go out and witness and share the gospel in whatever way you can, I know God has gifted us differently. God has called us differently. Some, God has called us to go out to different parts of the world. What an exciting time for Mark and Kathy. I just rejoice in what's doing, what, what, are they, what they're doing next. I was visiting with them and it just radiates from them how excited they are. And that may not be for everybody, but God has a place for you. God has a gift for you. God has resources for you to be effective and to be successful in whoever you are. And so there's that joy that continues to uh, uh, flow our heart as we are involved in the gospel presentation. Last Wednesday night, my dad took me with Mark, uh, walking out to the uh, streets of um, Everett. I was very surprised how empty the streets were. Everywhere I go, I, see, I told my mom, I said, this is not like Bangkok. 
seems like anywhere I go, there's plenty of room. I guess driving in Bangkok for four years now, anywhere you go, just like you stop and go. So it's like a free here. And Everett, we were there and talking to Mark. It just radiates something from him. You know, the joy and the excitement that he has, I don't think anything else is fueling that. What is fueling him is that he has joy in what he does in preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. And that continual feeding kind of outflows and you cannot hide it. Not only that, you cannot fake it either. Act like you're happy when you're not. And so I'm here to stand with you and to uh, agree with Paul's testimony that there's joy in the gospel as we partner. Um, Thirdly, we're going to look at Paul's personal commitment to the gospel. We looked at background for the church at Philippi, and we looked at Paul's rejoicing over the salvation of many. And then thirdly, Paul's personal commitment to the gospel. Not only that he is joyful in what he's doing, but his life itself is given to the gospel. Let's look at verses 12 through 26. Verses 12 through 26. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. Paul interprets his life on the basis of the gospel, uh, gospel preaching. His life is determined on the basis of serving God with the gospel. So he says, whatever has happened to me, the prison, the beatings, and all the things that he went through, circumstances in his life, he sees only one thing, and that is, it's been good for the gospel preaching. It has been good for the gospel furtherance. And that's the kind of life Paul had. Verse 13, And that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else, that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Paul's heart is so committed to the gospel even when people are after him and uh, causing all kinds of problems, I don't see any, any, anything about somebody preaching the false gospel. I don't think Paul was talking about somebody who brought the wrong gospel. These people were truly preaching the gospel. They were wanting with the different motives and wanting to cause more problem to Paul. But Paul looks at the gospel presentation and he says, You know what? I rejoice. I have joy and gladness for the preaching of the gospel, no matter who's doing it. And he rejoices that. I've learned something over these years as, as I get older, that I went to Pensacola, Christian College, 
And uh, the doxology that we just sang, we used to sing that every day, it seemed like. Chapel, church, and we used to stand up and sing that. In my early days of ministries, I was very critical. May I, maybe I should say separatist. Or they don't believe the same way I believe, therefore I'm not going to be part of what they're doing. And as older I get, the partnership in the gospel is a different thing. We may not like everything the other person does, but we rejoice in the fact that people are being saved. Amen. That's, where the, that's where our heart should be. That's where we should get excited about. Maybe we don't agree with everything they do, uh, all the doctrines that they have, but we do rejoice. And that's what Paul says. If you love the gospel, if your life is built around it, we will rejoice over all the souls that have been brought to the Lord, whoever is doing it. If they are truly good gospel, the truth that has been preached. So Paul has a personal commitment to the gospel. Advancement of the gospel is his goal. Advancement of the gospel is his goal. What is your goal? What is my goal? Really. If somebody says to you, what is your five-year plan? What is your ten-year plan? What kinds of things would it involve? Some of you may say, what is five years? What is ten years? I don't have anything like that. But really, what is it that you live for? With that commitment comes arrangements of your lifestyle, right? If you say, I want to lose 20 pounds, and if I don't plan around it and pursue it, it won't happen. And so advancement of the gospel was Paul's goal in life, and he gave his life for it. Not only that, we see preaching of the true gospel brings uh, joy for him. I, uh, let's go back to verse 14 again. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Because I have this, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. As I studied more and more on these verses here, I see in the context that Paul says, whether I live or die, I live for the gospel. I live for the truth that God has sent His Son to die on the cross for the sins of the entire world. And those who put trust in the Lord will be saved. And if I live, I want to live for that. If I die, I want to die for that cause. That's the kind of commitment that Paul had for the gospel. Verse 21, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. And And if I live on this flesh... This means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am 
pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of me, your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. And in chapter, and in chapter uh, uh, 3 and 4, Paul says, Be imitator of me. Follow me. And I think it would have been a wonderful time to walk with him, to see where he goes. Sometimes what we need is a, a leader who is doing certain things uh, well, and just to follow that leader uh, will help us learn and understand what it is. Uh, just like I just want to give you a quick illustration about Mark again. Uh, we've done that kind of work all the time, but I wanted to kind of go along with Mark and see what he does. And just learn from him how he deals with people, how he answers them. And just, just by just walking with him like that would give any of you confidence that I can do what Mark's doing. Sometimes we never go out there and never see what the picture is, and then we feel like, I can't do that. Just go out and be with somebody who's doing it, and will automatically be so easy for you. And Paul says the same thing. Imitate me, copy me. Not that I have already attained everything, not that I'm mature and I know everything. I'm also struggling just like you. But do what I do, say what I say, and become like me. especially in the area of the gospel presentation. So we see that Paul is committed for the preaching of the gospel. Finally, uh, fourthly, Paul's challenge to the church. He rejoices over the saved. He has a commitment to the gospel. And now he challenges the church at Philippi. Again, I want to remind you that the church at Philippi was a very good church church that Paul was proud of, and yet even a good church needs some beating, right, in some ways. He says, don't forget, look at verse um, 27, Uh, my translation says, just one thing, uh, and he goes talking about, he says, just one thing, I'm not sure what other translations say, but this translation says, just one thing, and he goes on to challenge the church, and he says, be united for the gospel. Be united for the gospel. We sang some songs and hymns. I don't know whether you're paying attention or not. And they talked about being one, united, body of Christ. We are united under the cross of Christ, which is the gospel. And he says, be united, be of one mind. Strive together, knit together in the area of reaching out for the lost. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 27. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear that you, I uh, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. Not being frightened in any way 
by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and now that uh, here that I have. So Paul says to church, be united, be of one mind in the gospel, live worthy of the gospel. Being united, being one, part of being the body is also being united in the way we live. Have you played the race where, three-legged race, I think that's what it's called? And if there is a um, bigger man and a smaller person, and running is a little difficult, especially if you're not synchronizing well. Or the bigger one will make the other one fall, or the, you know, the race is not as uh, uh, good. And so Paul says, as a body of Christ, as one, the part of striving together is to have our life, individual life, be worthy of the gospel. Our behavior, our character, our lifestyle, the things you say, things you do, need to be worthy of the gospel. And so as a whole, as we are well, and we're doing well in that area, then all as one unit can move forward in force of 100, 200, 300 people behind us doing what God has called us to do. So live worthy of the gospel. The word worthy has the idea of having an equal value or equal worth. So what, it, what, it, what Paul is saying here is, let your lifestyle, let your, uh, who you are, be of equal value of the gospel. Basically, if you want to do it in our term, A equals B. A is your lifestyle equals the gospel. That means that your life is lived out in the way the gospel is proclaimed. Problem that we have sometimes is our lifestyle does not match the standard of the gospel. We live very recklessly. We live very selfishly, and then we preach the gospel. Or we want to preach the gospel. And that person sees you so differently. That person says, if your lifestyle is like that, why would I want your God? And so there is that, you know, uh, not hypocrisy, but dual life. And I'm so surprised how quickly my kids can know uh, my motives and my lifestyle or what I say and what I do. When they were little, they wouldn't say anything, but now they've begun to say, Oh, you, you do that. Like, yeah, I do that. They're watching, they're much smarter than you think. And as they grow and older, and, and your kids begin to have different ideas, I worry that my kids, I, I pray hard, I try hard, I, hopefully I'm not presenting myself differently to my kids than you guys. Or to people that I preach gospel to. And so sometimes part of the problem with our witnessing and being bold witness for the Christ is that our life lacks certain ingredients. Certain facts about our life that does not come how, somehow compare to the value of the gospel. So some of you could be uh, a very judgmental, self-righteous, and not practice what the gospel did for you. The grace and the mercy you received from the Lord. 
that all are equal in front of the cross, still we have the grace of God that changes everything. I am who I am because of the grace of God. What Christ did for you and how He deals with you is the proper response to our unsaved friends, neighbors that you're trying to reach. So a lifestyle that has to be worthy, that has to match with your faith and your walk. And so church united in one thought, in one mind, trying to reach the gospel, trying to reach the unsaved world, every individual has a part in that to examine ourselves and say, Lord, I want to be committed. I want to be united. I want to be of one mind. I want to live for the furtherance of the gospel. But help me. Help me evaluate my life. Help me see my motives. Lord, help me understand where I'm lacking. And then we can move as a group. Not only that, uh, Paul says, suffer for the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. 28, I just read that verses to you. Not being frightened in any way, but by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them. But for your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. As I meet uh, different people, different uh, church leaders, different missionaries, uh, suffering is somehow avoided. Suffering is looked upon as something, judgment of God, and the pronouncement of God's punishment. But if you truly study God's word, suffering is part of God's plan. To endure hardship and to be ashamed, to be uh, uh, you know, spat on or, uh, or spoken evil of you is part of who we are. We're not sad by evil things that are done by people who don't know the Lord. You and I need to look at them and say, you know what, they don't know any better. They behave like their master. I'm not offended. And suffering for Christ is something that God has designed for us to be. And that's where the joy is. That's where the happiness is. Remember in the book of Acts when apostles came back from jail and all beaten up. And and they were joyful. They were thankful that they were worthy of some suffering and pain for the cause of Christ. And so I want to encourage you that when it comes to being a gospel person, not everything's going to be easy. But so often I, I find the problem is with us, isn't it? We do things wrong, we, we, whatever we do wrong, and then that comes to haunt us. And then we feel like we're suffering for the Lord, but don't realize that it was caused by your own weakness. You didn't do things right. Or whatever that happened that caused a problem and said, Hallelujah, I'm suffering for the Lord. But you don't realize that suffering might be your own fault. So I'm just trying to tell you that there's a balance of suffering. When, you, when it's from God, when you're righteous, when you're doing things well for God, and the, the world hates you, and, and you realize the joy that comes from the Lord. And this is all part of the gospel. Again, I, I'm going back to the theme of my sermon. There is joy in sharing the gospel. There is joy in having people come to know the Lord. There is joy in suffering while you're preaching the gospel. And I want to repeat this too. You cannot find this kind of joy 
by just raising your hand and singing hallelujah to the choruses we sing. And you feel good about it. I'm not doubting that. But the kind of joy that God wants to fill your heart and to change you in an amazing way is when you intentionally work yourselves up and share the gospel and have people come to know the Lord. And then you will see and then you will feel what I'm talking about. I know many of you have done that and many of you would say amen with, that, with me on that. Some of you may need a little pushing. A little joy here and there isn't enough. Have a joy that God intends us to have and that joy radiates around us and, and the unsaved can see that and say, hey, there's something different about you. Be of one mind, be of one spirit, be united. And then finally, Holy Spirit-led evangelism produces the right kind of fruits. Now, I told you a little story from Acts chapter 16 a little earlier. Holy Spirit told Paul not to go through to that area. He wanted to go to Bithynia. Uh, Holy Spirit told him not to go there. But God had a perfect place for him. Place where Paul had to be there and he would, everything would happen. And it was so often my prayer is simply that. Lord, take me to a place where it's going to be your will and it's going to be your guidance and where things are going to happen and I'm going to sit back and say, how did that happen? Because it's not us. It's not you. When it comes to bringing people to the Lord, it's not you. Let's understand that. It's not you. It's all about God and it's all about how He works in the hearts of people. So maybe the most important thing is this. We need to be so in tune with the Spirit and do what He is inciting in our heart to do. Listen for His direction. Listen for His call. Macedonians were calling. That's where Paul needed to be. That's where a wonderful church established. Not long ago, just maybe even a month ago, we bought a dining table in Bangkok. It had been long four years, we had this little one and any time we invited people, we would have kids sit there and the adults sit there and we would have to share. So Paul finally said, you know what, Sham, if we're going to be here for another three years, that's our plan, another three years, I need a dining table. I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll buy. So we went to Ikea and uh, a bad place to buy stuff because I had to work hard. When I came home, I had to put it together. It's like, I pay and I work. That's not fair. So, um, so came home, uh, you know, started putting things, and you, you know how those things are, right? Simple, and yet something goes wrong, something doesn't open. Micah was helping me, and uh, you, you know, the, the opening and closing was so wobbly, and it's like, what happened here? I don't know, where did this piece go? And we're kind of confused, but we made it work. And there came the time for chairs. And chairs had those lot of screws that I had to in and the tool I had only one I, I don't even know the, the Phillips or the whatever they call okay it's like a star one and uh, kind of using it and all of a sudden my head is becoming you know uh, not sharp anymore and uh, I'm pushing hard and I'm, I got blisters in my hand and I'm like when you don't have the right tool yeah, yeah, how difficult the work is and uh, men, if you have lots of tools in your house, I can understand why. 
there's often I'm like, why, why do I have to have 10 screwdrivers? Okay, but then sometimes one may not work. It reminded me really, when we do God's work in our strength, when we do what God wants us to do in our own efforts, it's going to be like that. It's not fitting right. You're having to sweat a lot. You're having to hurt yourself a lot. You have frustration, throwing up things or whatever. And maybe, maybe we struggle similarly in our witness for the Lord. You try different things here and there. Things don't seem to work. There's more burden on yourself. Maybe you feel guilty of not doing things. And there's self-bitten, self-pity. A desire to do what God has called you to be. And that is to live a life of gospel. Doing it in his, on His strength. Guided by Him. Not by what I tell you really. You don't necessarily have to go uh, to the streets with Mark. Do what God has allowed you to do. Work where you are working. And allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Be in constant communion with Him. Live for Him. Live a life that is dedicated to Him. And hearts of people will change like nothing. And you will be amazed. So as you move forward, as you go forward, I want to challenge the church here. I'm just part of, uh, uh, maybe I'm a finger, I don't know, of this body. That you have prayed for us and that you have sent us to wherever we wanted to go. And we were talking about that. Somebody said, how is Thailand? How is the work there? I said, the Lord is good. Wherever you go, if you're willing, there's plenty of things to do for the Lord. Amen? Here, anywhere you go, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of people that you can reach. But let's have a story of somebody coming up here and introducing new converts. Hey, I was here. Somebody got saved. That would excite all of us. So let's pray. Let's be united. And I'm excited for what God has for us. And God is the one who will do it for us. So uh, at this time, I want a dad to come and End us in prayer. I'm sure. Am I on? I should be. I have to be turned on. Screen. Okay. Alan's mic. We'll get it here. Or I'll talk loudly. That's okay. Sham, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have heard from your Holy Spirit through your servant. And we thank you for bringing Sham. We thank you for how you have matured him and developed him in the ministry and for what uh, you're doing through him and Paula and the family there in Thailand as well as Nepal. But Lord, you're also doing something now through him here, and we give you praise for that. We need to be challenged and motivated, Lord, to step out of our comfort zone and to begin to just uh, live out and share the love of Christ and the gospel that people can hear, and some for the first time, about Jesus and who you are and what you did and why they need you. And we would pray, Heavenly Father, that we will be a church set on fire by your Spirit and your Word to do evangelism. And you will bring many to saving faith, not just because of those who go out as missionaries around the world, but as we are released and we go to our neighborhoods and we go to where we go to school and where we work and where we uh, enjoy pleasure, that you would use us in that way to your glory. May this message of Philippians 1 be burned 
and solidified in our hearts until we have feet that move for you and voices that speak for you and hearts that love like you love. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.